Tonight, it's the first shows that we saw on Broadway. Spamalot versus The Sound of Music. This is Musical Theater Deathmatch. Good though, I liked that one. Thank you. Uh, in any case, hi folks, welcome to Musical Theater Deathmatch. This is the podcast where two recovering theater kids are going to pit two musicals against each other and try to determine which is the better show. My name is Andrew Favaloro. I'm Kelsey Goldman. Yeah, and uh, I feel like we should we should timestamp this a little bit. We're recording in the middle of November, uh, and when you're recording in the middle of November, I think it's important to. Uh, to talk a little bit about voting. We're not, you know, we're not an apolitical podcast here. We're politically active. Exactly. And there's, there is a, there is a very important voting thing that happened recently. Uh, in fact, it happened the day after our last recording session, which is why we didn't get to talk about it in our October episode. But um, the Tony Award nominations came out recently. <laughs> if you can call them that in this, this day and age, really... Um, I have a lot of opinions about them, to be quite honest, but... But the the one opinion that I think is most important is the hotly contested leading actor in a musical category, where the nominations include Aaron Tveit. That's it. And that's it. That's That's the whole thing. But he was not the presumptive winner, because the Tonys are weird. He, he could he could till, still technically not win. And honestly, like, as much as I want Aaron Tveit to get a Tony Award, I wanted him to get a Tony Award for Next to Normal. I wanted him to get a Tony Award for Catch Me If You Can. Um, he did not deserve a Tony Award for this show. <laughs> it's yeah. a bad show. And it's a bad performance by him, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> the, the show, of course, is Moulin Rouge, which uh, you might know as when you take all of your CDs from 2000 to 2010 and slam them together into one mega CD. That seems to be Moulin Rouge. Am I right? I didn't yeah. see it. I just looked at the trash track listing and got a headache. Yeah, no, that's that's basically right. That's pretty, uh, pretty accurate. Did you want to hear Karen Olivo belting firework? In a way that is supposed to be cathartic, but isn't? Because you can. Honestly, a little bit, but not very much. It's like the weirdest thing, because it's this moment when you're supposed to really feel for Satine. And it's like, it's what replaces One Day I'll Fly Away from the film. Mm -hmm. Which is a very, like, soft, like, wayfish song, because Nicole Kidman. Um, And it's like, firework. It's like her I want song, right? You know? (laughs) But they're two very different ones. To me personally, and you're like you're supposed to like feel a certain way, and I just like I had the exact same reaction that Jason and Sarah had, even though we saw it separately. Was that I just I was laughing like I could not stop laughing, and it was so bad. I felt so bad because they're all the actors are doing a good job. They're doing their best, but it's a bad show. The dancing is very good. We'll give them that. Good dance. That seems it seems like the kind of show that might have good dancing, mm-hmm. but um. But yeah, presumptive uh, best actor in a musical. 
Aaron Tavane. I'm just going to pretend they're giving it to him for something else. <laughs> and then, of course, there's there's the uh, the nonsense, which, you know, are the Tony Awards even happening? Today, I went onto their website to check what the date was, and the date is, and I quote, coming soon. Oh, nice. We're running out of runway with the twin Tony Awards, but... Uh, Let's let's bring in someone else to to help us talk about the Tony Awards of 2020. Um, Maybe I'd like <laughs> I would like to uh, introduce to you a very talented performer, a, a dear friend of mine. Uh, welcome to the stage, Hannah Susie. Yay! Hi. <laughs> Hi, Hannah. Hello. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I think we're going to have a fun time. Do you have any thoughts about the Tony Awards? I was watching your face through our conversation and it was a delightful watch. I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea what's going on with the Tony Awards. I genuinely didn't even know they were happening until you two started talking about them. It's like, so they decided to have them because they want to have like a clean slate for the next award season it seems like and it's just like they could have just not had them because all the stuff that's nominated this year is not good or at least like musicals like there are probably some good plays and I feel bad about that but like there's not a lot because uh Broadway closed before like half of the things that were set to open for Tony season even opened yeah any of the new things it's like any of the new things it doesn't really matter because they never got off their feet it's all stuff that had already been up yeah. yeah. So like right. Moulin Rouge is like the presumptive winner for like most of the musical awards and it shouldn't be cuz it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that might be no. that might be a very specifically like me theater kid also lover of the Moulin Rouge movie criticism, but it's not good. It's- I just feel like why are we I I I don't love the idea we're just going to continue to nominate musicals that were movies and now they're musicals on stage and we're not going to try to do anything original really like I hate when something that was a movie then became a musical and now it gets all this acclaim it's like it already existed you wrote a couple songs but it was already there like they didn't even write any songs though that's the thing it's a jukebox musical (laughs) no no (laughs) so like and they included songs after the movie came out which like really like disturbs the whole thing tonally to me right because like in the in the movie there's like everything before was written before the movie came out obviously and there was like one original song i think but how great would it be if the movie did include songs that were written after the movie though i mean (laughs) anyway it it's just bad it's bad don't (laughs) don't give them your money if you if you don't like when musicals are made out of movies, you probably shouldn't listen to our next episode. That's a little teaser for uh, for January. But uh, we're not here to we're not here to shit on the Tony Awards and Moulin Rouge forever. We are here to talk about two other musicals. Kelsey Goldman, would you like to run us down the rules of the challenge slash showdown? Sure. So um, we will be discussing two musicals, which Andrew said earlier will be the first shows that Andrew and I saw on Broadway. Um, We'll start with a brief historical um, context introduction, as well as a plot summary for both musicals, um, as best we can do. And then we'll discuss the pros and cons of each show. We'll fight it out. It'll be fun. And then we'll call a vote to decide who the official winner is. Because there will be a winner. We don't do ties here. Unless it's a three-way tie and we all pick the same one. Because then that's the winner. Um, 
That's why we always have a uh, guest, so we can't tie. Because Andrew and I have fairly similar tastes in musical theater. So, But we're also pretty combative as friends. So, like, it's not a good situation if it were just the two of us. Yeah. Which is why our, he already has our one-year anniversary show planned, which we're going to fight real hard on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, I'm here to talk to you guys about the first show I saw on Broadway, which I tried really hard to like find my email confirmation for and I couldn't. So I'm just gonna say was on January 13th, 2007, cause that sounds right. Um, but I went and saw a Saturday matinee of Spamalot in 2007. Spamalot opened on March 17th, 2005. The music, lyrics, and book are all by Eric Idle. And the original director of the play is uh, Mike Nichols, who you might know as having directed The Graduate. Crazy fact. Spamalot is actually an adaptation of the 1975 comedy film Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is written and performed by the British comedy troupe Monty Python, which includes Eric Idle, John Cleese, Graham Chapman, other people whose names I can't remember, two different people named Terry. Um, (laughs) The story is a famously irreverent and meta retelling of King Arthur's God-given quest to find the Holy Grail. I would try to describe the plot of the story here, but it's really more of a sketch comedy movie. And so some of the sketches in this film basically include assembling a team of knights, Robin is a coward, Lancelot kills an entire (laughs) castle, Robin is a coward, there is a killer rabbit, some Frenchmen taunt the knights, Robin is a coward, and then a very weird sex castle. But the musical adaptation of Spamalot covers almost all of the same ground and it adds a few twists. For instance, it uh, makes the Lady of the Lake more of a character. It quote-unquote fleshes out Lancelot, and I have a feeling we'll be talking a lot about that. Um, It throws in a lot of meta Broadway humor, uh, but I think the thing that it does the best is that it adds in much more topical humor because it is a show that's being performed night after night for like five years they get to change the jokes whenever they want to my favorite of which is there's a part where there's the knights who say knee and they're renaming themselves in the year 2007 they renamed themselves to the knights who say icky icky harry potter dies at the end of the seventh book <laughs> um love that moment the original cast of Spamalot includes tim curry as king arthur tim curry who we know of course from home alone 2 and nothing else sarah ramirez who is dr callie from gray's anatomy played the lazy Lady of the Lake. Hank Azaria, who voices 50% of all the voices from The Simpsons, is Lancelot. They are still (laughs) staring at me wide-mouthed because of not mentioning Tim Curry, I guess, what, from Muppet Treasure Island? The Wild Thornberries? What are you angry about? Rocky Horror Picture Show? Definitely not Rocky Horror. And my personal, my personal favorite. Is Clue. Clue. Yep. The movie. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh... Tim Curry, Sarah Ramirez, Hank Azaria as Lancelot, David Hyde Pierce, who is Dr. Niles Crane as Frasier, Christian Borle in a very early role as a, a bunch of the smaller roles. Over the five years that it ran, there were notable replacements for characters, including Alan Tudyk coming in to replace Lancelot and Clay Aiken coming in to replace Sir Robin. Spamalot was nominated for 14 Tony nominations, and it won Best Musical, Best Direction, Best Lighting Design, as well as Best Featured Actress for Sarah Ramirez, which prompted them to have to change one lyric in the song The Diva's Lament about how she hadn't won any Tony Awards. (laughs) 
And then the last thing to say about Spamalot is that they are constantly talking about making a movie of the musical adaptation of the movie, uh, but it's in production hell right now due to the way that Disney is just buying up every company. And I really honestly do believe at some point they're just going to re-release Monty Python and the Holy Grail and call it Spamalot colon the non-musical edition. That is, <laughs> I'm placing my bets on this happening right now, but. That would be very Monty Python. Uh, but that's all I have to say about Spamalot. Kelsey, why don't you tell us about the first time you went and saw a show on Broadway? So the first show I saw on Broadway was The Sound of Music. I came to New York from Kentucky for my ninth birthday in 1998. Um, and my mom and I saw The Sound of Music and Lion King, which was like new at that point. Um, uh, but The Sound of Music was, had always been one of my favorite films which we'll talk about a little bit. So we saw it and uh, the sound of music, which like, I hope everyone has seen the movie, but just in case it's based on the story of the Von Trapp family, which was chronicled in two West German films in the 1950s, which is how the um, writers found it in the first place. Um, It first premiered on Broadway in 1959. If you don't know the story, a young postulate, a a would-be nun, someone who is deciding whether they're going to be a nun, is sent to be a governess for a widowed submarine captain outside Salzburg in 1938, Austria. He has seven children, and she's supposed to take care of them. Uh, You know, they sing, they fall in love, they fight the Nazis. It's very fun. (laughs) If you haven't seen the movie, you should see the movie. It's a great movie. Um, Readily available many places. Um, Actually, no, I think it's on Disney Plus now, so it's probably only on Disney Plus. Um, <laughs> so the the show was originally conceived as a play with like a couple of original songs, and they were going to have Rodgers and Hammerstein write the, the a couple of original songs, but it soon shifted to that it should, it should be a full-fledged musical. It was the last musical that Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote. Oscar Hammerstein died uh, within the year of the show opening. The original production starred Mary Martin and Theodore Bickle as Maria and Captain Von Trapp. It ran from November of 1959 to June of 1963. It tied for Best Musical with Fiorello, which I have never seen before, but um, or heard any of the music from, but it did tie. It was nominated for seven Tony Awards, but two of them were, multiple people were nominated. Um, It won for Best Musical as well as Best Performance by a Leaning Actress for Mary Martin, and also won for Best Featured Actress in a Musical for the woman who played Mother Abbess, which was Patricia Newey. But notably, the children as a whole were also nominated for Best Featured Actress. Like, Lori Peters and the children were nominated for Best Featured Actress in a Musical, which I think is funny. It also won for um, Best Conductor and Musical Director, which I don't know if it's an award we still give, and Best Scenic Design. I think we should still give an award for best conductor. Right? I can't like, believe yeah. we don't honor that anymore. That's like a really hard, important job. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it was the show was adapted into the classic film starring Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer in 1965, which won five Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. The version I attended was the 1998 revival. And this actually led me to realize that I, I thought I'd gone to New York for my 10th birthday, but I went for my 9th birthday because the show closed in June of 1999, and my 10th birthday was in October of 1999. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to text my mom and was like, wait, when did we go? <laughs> so I uh, learned a little about myself here. Um, yeah. And isn't that what this podcast is really all about? Obviously, yes. Of course. <laughs> We're all about self, you know, self-critique and self-reflection here. 
But yeah, um, it's a wonderful musical, a lot of classic Rodgers and Hammerstein songs. The movie includes two additional songs by Oscar or uh, by Richard Rodgers, which have often been included in subsequent productions of the show because they were so beloved. All right. Well, thank you for that, Hannah. Before we ask you about your personal connection to these two shows, why don't you tell us a little bit about your first Broadway show experience? Yeah. I my first Broadway show I is not actually all that unique I don't think probably so Andrew we talked about this before though I'm curious what you think my first Broadway show would be just based on what you know of me can you can you tell me what year you saw the show in I I, I can tell you a, a range of years when I might have seen the okay. show I also could not find my original playbill I was either in sixth grade or eighth grade. I know I wasn't in seventh grade, but I can't remember which side of seventh grade I was in. So it would have been in a range of, I don't even know what year that was. I think like 2000. Well, let me look and see when this musical came out, actually, because maybe I'm totally wrong. It had been out for a little while. The musical had been. I'm now trying to figure out if if you're younger than me or older than me. <laughs> I think I'm younger. I, I think you're slightly younger than both. Because I have a guess, but I'm not sure, and I don't know you at all. So. <laughs> no, it had. I think it might have been 2005 or 2006, okay. which I don't think is actually sixth grade for me. Was it Wicked? Yes. Okay. It, everyone my age's first show was Wicked, right? <laughs> I am a basic bitch. I was I was just going to start doing like really obscure shit and just r- run down the clock with that bit, but Kelsey no, stole it from me. I wish it was more unique. I was just I just wanted to feel that triumphant. <laughs> no, I, I was actually going to guess the Lion King would be your first, but No, I've never seen the Lion King actually. Honestly, it's really good. Highly recommend. I have some friends who dance in it who I've always been like I should go see these people. It's apparently really cool and I've never gone. I've seen it. I saw it on Broadway the first time I was here, and then it came to Louisville touring, and this was after my parents had divorced, obviously, so my dad bought me tickets and my mom bought me tickets, and so I saw it twice in Louisville. (laughs) Oh, divorce. It was was really good, though, because in one of them, I sat on the aisle, so, like, when they come up the aisles, like, I got to, like, be, then the other one, I sat in, like, one of the boxes where the birds come out in, like, front of you, so it was very cool. I've seen, I've seen Lion King in multiple ways, and when we saw it in New York, we were in, like, the nosebleeds. Uh, Do you have anything else you want to add about either of these two shows, both of these two shows? What do you got? So I actually, Andrew, might have seen Spamalot the same year you saw it. Um, (laughs) I saw it, actually, I think I saw it. When did you say you you saw it? I saw 2007, I think, or 2008. I saw it, and this is canonical at this point, but January 13th, 2007. Oh, right. Yeah, so I was probably a little after you, but I also couldn't find my playable from that, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, I was, like, on a trip to New York without my mom, with, like, my friend and her mom, and it was, like, really weird to sit with my friend's, like, somewhat conservative mom and watch that show, (laughs) but also really fun. Um, Yeah, and The Sound of Music... um, My old roommate loves The Sound of Music so much, has been in like four productions of it and recently did a one-woman cabaret called um, uh, Diary of a Young Nun, the Kyle Hughes story, where she started the the cabaret singing the beginning of The Sound of Music in like a full nun's habit and then ripped it off halfway through and was in like a shiny red silky dress and like weaved The Sound of Music into her one-woman cabaret over and over (laughs) again. So there you go. That's my connection to both. That's amazing. That's amazing. That. I'm wondering if I have my playbill from Spamalot here. I didn't even look. Yeah, I um, I, I don't think I have any 
play builds. Like, I always try to be very sentimental about them, and then they get lost every time I move, like, every single time. They also start to take up a lot of space. I have, like, a box of them, and I'm always trying to filter them through so I never have to get a bigger box, so I'm, like, right. recycling old ones. Yeah. I didn't grow up going to Broadway with my family or anything. This was actually, like, winter of my freshman year of college, <laughs> and I bought... I bought tickets to Broadway as a Christmas gift for my then girlfriend, um, and we went and saw we went and saw Spam a lot, and that was much more for me than it was for her. But, <laughs> well, listeners of this podcast know at this point that it is my single greatest joy in life to come up with new games to uh, <laughs> surprise our guests, and boy, have I done it again! Um, we have a new game to play today. It is entitled "It Doesn't Take a Genius." Now, um, as all theater kids learned in about 2016, for some unknown reason, Genius.com is a website where you can go on and annotate the lyrics, generally rap lyrics, and so it's weird that theater kids figured this out in 2016, um, annotate the lyrics <laughs> with with uh, hidden meanings or references or clarifications about what a lyric might mean. So what I have done here is I have gone onto genius.com, scoured through the annotations for both of our shows today, Spamalot and The Sound of Music. I have the annotations and I'm going to read to you the annotation and then uh, either the title of a song from one show or the other and you're gonna try to tell me which annotation or which song that annotation is from. Ready to go? Got it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Our first one. It says it's a translation from the Latin, and it means, Holy, holy Lord, we ignorant have sinned. Lord Jesus Christ, grant them rest. Is that not dead yet from Spamalot, or is it the preludium slash Dixit Dominus, the opening from Sound of Music? Oh, it's the Sound of Music one. Right? Kelsey, would you like to confirm or deny? I'm going to say that it's Spamalot just to be contrary here. Good. I think it is though, because Dona Nobis is in in spam in that that song, but it's like a separate song, maybe. Yeah, isn't it? So, not dead yet does start with the monks chant of Sanctus you Domine, which is Holy Lord, we have sinned. Oh, uh, dang it! So yeah, that one's from Spamalot. Uh, the next one we have here. This isn't an annotation per se, but it tells me Genius.com tells me that this song is quote unquote interpolated by Panic at the Disco in the song, Build God, <laughs> Then We'll Talk. Uh, is that is the song lyric that is sampled in this Panic at the Disco song, Brave Brave Sir Robin, or is it My Favorite Things from Sound of Music? I, it has to be My Favorite Things, right? I have, uh, I, yeah, I feel like, honestly, I don't know, but I feel like because you chose Spamalot as the first answer, now you have to choose Sound of Music as the second answer, so I'm gonna second Sound of Music. Um. It is Sound of Music, and I should have had this prepared. Yes. I'm so sorry. I want to play the clip because it is so weird. Inside, what a wonderful It's a oh very weird God. song. All right, so that was uh, that was um, yeah, raindrops and roses is interpolated in the song "Build God, Then We'll Talk" by Panic at the Disco. So that is my favorite things. Um, 
this annotation says, wow, they just said the name of the show. Is that from Knights of the Round Table from Spamalot, or is that from The Sound of Music from The Sound of Music? Oh my god. <laughs> it could be either. Is it both? Is it both? I wish. God, I wish I could pull a trick question like that. Unfortunately, it is only in Knights of the Round Table and not in Sound of Music. They're alive, Andrew. They're alive. Here, uh, we're, we're going to slightly modify the format for this one because I'm not going to tell you what songs it might come from. But the annotation is, this is a song that heavily sounds like Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver. <laughs> oh, wait. It's in Spamalot. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's one, one of the of Lady the... of the Lake songs. That's what I was just about to say. Yeah. Yes. It's Find Your Grail. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we found <laughs> to the end. It's a good song, though. Yeah. Um, oh, all right. One last one. The annotation is... Who is Ken? And then a few lines later, we still don't know who Ken is. <laughs> is that from Lancelot or is that from 16 going on 17? 16 going on 17. Kelsey? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it would have helped if I had written down what the line was, but I, I think it's the kind Things of thing. beyond your care. Yep, that, that is Do the you line. Wanna right know, you want to know how I know that? Because I when I was in high school, sang that song at the Colorado Thespian Conference. Not a really appropriate song to be singing at a Colorado <laughs> Thespian Conference when you're like 15 years old. And I remember being with my voice teacher and being like, what the heck is this line? And we had to do a lot of research as to why she might have been saying Ken. So Andrew, maybe that was me who wrote that on the genius <laughs> lyrics. You never know. That sounds like you. You seem like the kind of person who would just be trolling... <laughs> Soundtracks from 1955 with your own thoughts and opinions. You never know. All right. So now that we now that we played, it doesn't take a genius. I wasn't keeping score, so I'm pretty sure that you guys both won. Um, let Let's Good. get down. Let's get down to fighting about it. Um, and let's start with Spamalot. Anybody have any first impressions about Spamalot? So I watched both Monty Python and the Holy Grail, as well as a bootleg of the original Broadway cast of Spamalot this weekend um and like it's a really good adaptation of the of the original material which makes sense because it's eric idol although mm-hmm. there's some like there's some not controversy but like interesting stuff about the other pythons being like eh, i don't know about this <laughs> um, i didn't know about that can you speak more to it um like a lot of them were just like not really like against it just sort of like unenthused and be like mm. it's just to sketches like on the stage why would you do that what's the point what why does it bring new stuff and then like you know and then eric idol basically said well i made them all a bunch of money so they can't complain now and he did so um and then <laughs> i do remember of, that quote and um and like you know john cleese said you know basically we all were too lazy to like try and put some a stage show together, and Eric Idle just said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do it by myself." Because mm-hmm. um, John Cleese is the voice of God in in the show, um, right. and but then the others were kind of like you know a little more unsure about it at first, but have in you know in its success been like, "Okay, that's fun. It works. It's a good time." Um, so not like controversy, but just like you know they w- it wasn't like a full Python effort from the beginning. It was very much Eric Idle's singular vision of what the pythons did in um holy grail and it's it's such a great adaptation of like the jokes in the movie um Mm -hmm. i think for both of these i think uh 
being having a film version that is so specific and classic and beloved is is a bit of a detriment to both of them to be quite honest yeah um because with with my python with with spamalot especially uh, after having watched the the movie this weekend like the specific cadence of the way a lot of the jokes are told is like what you love about it and what you remember about it. Like when I was like 14, I could quote this entire movie back to front. Like it, it's so formative for me. And so like when, like when the tone or the cadence or the beat of like a specific joke that is like directly transferred from the movie to the show is off, off a little bit. You're like, Oh, that doesn't quite hit right. You know? Um, But it does add so much that like it kind of balances that out. Yeah, it's uh, it, there's something very strange I think about the idea of adapting this as a musical, just because uh, I wouldn't say that the m- movie is improvisational in nature, but it does feel very freeform. It was like really constrained by the fact that they didn't have a budget in any s- traditional sense of the word, um, and they were kind of making things up as they go or like constantly readjusting. Um, and Eric Idle was apparently very good about rewriting dialogue and individual lines throughout the course of spam a lot to like keep jokes topical or to um fit with new actors who were coming in and respond to the tonys or whatever but when you have fully orchestrated musical numbers you can't you can't change things terribly much like you still need to hit those yeah. tent poles every time and uh that seems like a strange format for him to be drawn to in the first place Yeah, I feel like it was interesting for me listening back to it because I was not excited to listen to it, even though I remember really loving seeing it. And I think the reason I didn't want to listen and I should have just thought to like find a bootleg version is because I was like half of the experience of this musical is like watching it, like listening back. I was afraid it wasn't going to be the same kind of thing. And I did find I was really surprised there were several songs that came up and I was like, oh, my God, I forgot this song is from this musical. Like there's a lot of bops in this musical that like I still come into my head and I don't associate with the show and I forgot came from the show, which was cool. But still, I was like, I I miss, it, it feels like it's just this ode to the movie and like I'd rather maybe just watch the movie. I don't know if that's like a sacrilege thing to say, but like I don't, I don't a think little. I think, because I think the the like sort of like lack of budget and the low, the like, I don't want to say low quality, but low production value of, right, of right, right. the movie is like part of the, the goodness of it. And I kind of wish I had watched like a community theater version of it. (laughs) Yes. Because I think that would actually hit really well because it has sort of the same tone, you know, of that like low budget. And there are a couple and I might go back and do that after this. Um, (laughs) But I wanted to see, I wanted to watch the original version. Um, Because like that, that is like part of it. And like people playing multiple characters, which they still do in the stage version as sort of an an homage to the movie, because like it's mostly the Pythons just playing like all the characters. Right. Um, And I do think that like sometimes, like while the songs like do like build on jokes from the movie, sometimes they take away from that like like I don't want to say like purity but kind of 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 the comedy you know because it's like it's kind of like hitting a joke too hard sometimes mm-hmm. but yes. that said like if I'm considering this as a musical completely separate from the film like it's great you know like if right. I don't have the 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 part of the film and why I love that that movie in my head it's like it's so good the songs are the songs are so good like, yes they're so good <laughs> almost all of them are so good there's a also, few, can but... 
can we talk about how fantastic Sarah Ramirez is? Oh my god, is? I because have I... my notes. Sarah Ramirez is doing the most in this entire cast. And yes! like, why is she not in more comedic things? She's fucking hilarious. Also, I had no idea until I was like, who is this? That Because I didn't see the original. So I was like, I, I didn't have the image of her in my mind. I had the image of the person I saw. And I don't even know who it was. And I was like, who is this original person? And then I saw she was Callie. And I was like, I love Grey's Anatomy. And she was my favorite <laughs> character in Grey's Anatomy. And now I love her even more for her performance in this show. Like, yeah, she's she's so talented. Indeed. And, like, part of me would love to see, like, a movie version of the musical, but, like, on yes. that same, like, low-budget scale right. as the original movie. Um, I, I feel like there is no way that could ever happen at no. this point. Like, Eric Idle is far too big a name. Any cast members they're talking about, like, they, they keep saying they want Peter Dinklage to play Patsy, and they want Benedict Ar- or Benedict Cumberbatch to play King Arthur. They want Tiffany Haddish to play the Lady of the Lake. Like that is not a low budget production we're Can talking she about. Sing? I doubt it, but maybe who knows? <laughs> I will say I feel like they could pull it off if they did something along the lines of what you were talking about, Kelsey, with like community theater. If they did like a waiting for Guffman about casting a community theater <laughs> version of the musical, I would totally go for that. That'd and Peter so Dinklage good. could be in that. Absolutely, he could be in that. Like, that would be fun. That'd be so good. I would love that. Uh, oh my God, uh, that's like my dream. <laughs> that's, like my about... two, that's like my two favorite kinds of comedy. Like, just yes. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that would that would be something special. But yeah, I sure. do think like Sarah Ramirez is actually like doing so much work in this show and like uh-huh. it's so funny and like leads me to believe that she's been underutilized comedically for a long time <laughs> totally yeah. also her voice like why is she not doing more musical i mean i guess she doesn't want to which like good for her then but i would love for her to do more musical theater i would love to hear her in more stuff totally but yeah, I think I think the the thing that surprised me most the first time I saw this was like the the very high quality of the songs because like the the movie has like a couple songs and like and Python they have songs like you know they can write songs but like this many like one after another and like right. Eric Idle I think wrote like he wrote like always look on the bright side of life is is from Life Brian but has become sort of its own. Mm-hmm. cultural phenomena um and he wrote that and so like it makes sense that there are good songs but like i just the the ability to have this many is uh is just so impressive because they're all yeah. very good and very catchy like you remember them mm-hmm. and i feel like there's um i feel like all the songs are good in different ways like last episode we were talking about beetlejuice's lack of any sort of uh, consistency Adam's family having a s- slight bit more but here is a, a situation where uh, you know like always look on the bright side of life is very different from the diva's lament which is very different from I don't know Lancelot like they're all different styles but they're all somehow working together as this mishmash maybe because we're expecting it to be Monty Python we're expecting it to be this kind of weird uh, low budget hodgepodge we're just trying to put on a show because we think it'll be silly sort of situation. But I, I, I think it surprisingly coheres in a way that on paper you might not expect it to. Yeah, I think, well, and I think it's because they're like, they're kind of doing like a parody of 
musicals at the same time. Like they're taking the, I mean, like the song that goes like this is the perfect example, right? Like it's, yeah, it's the song in every show that goes like this. Like it's, it's, you know, very specific. They're either doing that in the songs or they're doing like an expanded joke from the movie, right? Right. And making it into a song. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking because as you were talking about that, the other song that does that is like, uh, you won't succeed on Broadway, Um, Mm. right? Like, and I was, one thing that made me laugh really hard, I was going down like a little Wikipedia rabbit hole about Sarah Ramirez, to be honest, but I started reading about, um, about this fam a lot as well. And they were talking about how in markets that don't have large Jewish community presences, they have to change the lyrics because people don't understand what it means. Like, you won't succeed on Broadway if you don't have any Jews. They'll change it to, like, you won't succeed on Broadway if you don't have high production value. They have to, like, change the lyrics. Like, they were talking about, like, in South Korea, that's what it is, which is just so absurd to me. Um, That's all. Just wanted to throw that in there. Well, Well, Kelsey, I would really love your opinion on how you think this song has aged in the last 15 years. I was actually going to say, right, like, what surprised me the most about this is that it hasn't aged as badly as I expected it to. Right, because every like thing they're making fun of are other white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Yeah. Like it's like, you know, Finland and the French and you know, they're not even really making fun of Jewish people. They're just saying that Broadway is filled with them, which is a true statement, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I think that that's honestly a, a conscious effort on Eric Idle's part. I read that there's a, a line in um, The Diva's Lament where she says, I'm constantly replaced by Britney Spears. Uh, and this was in 2005 when Britney was, like, starting her her very public meltdown. Yeah. And they were like, we don't make fun of sad people. And so they changed the lyrics to, like, to, to recognize that Britney Spears was having a really hard time and that's not a funny thing, uh, which is not the route that most comedians took at the time. Well, yeah, and that's like that's like the thing, right, is is because the movie even, because I watched that Friday, um, it holds up because, like, the comedy is so much more about making fun of themselves than it is about making fun of other people and just, like, doing silly shit, you know? Um, like... I was so surprised that the, the you know, and I'm sure, like, some of the other sketches and stuff, like, like, Faulty Towers definitely doesn't hold up in a lot of ways that, you know, and a lot of um, other uh, Python, you know, adjacent stuff doesn't hold up. But, like, this specifically because of, like, when it is, you know, and they're, they're and what they're doing, like, it just, it holds up really, really well. And it, I don't, you don't see that really as much anymore. Like I really expected it to be like to for me to be like really offended by some of it, and even like the Lancelot, like uh, his name is Lancelot, which is basically about <laughs> Lancelot being like gay, is like kind of amazing actually. Like because it's because like it's all about Lancelot <laughs> being gay, but it's not like offensive really. Well. I, I want to push back on that a little bit because it seems like the the song has one joke and that joke is, but he's gay. Like, did, did, did you know that he's gay? Like, I mean, it seems fair. like a, that's fair. Yeah. It seems like a very old, it, it feels like a 13 year old boy's joke from 2002 in particular. Um, but I will say the one joke that I did love and almost made it all okay for me is the last line of the song, which is, he can finally come out and say that he is G-A-Y-M-C. And just for like whatever reason, <laughs> transitioning from gay to YMCA caught me very much off guard. And I laughed a lot at that line. Yeah, I mean, like, I think there are things that they probably wouldn't have done the same 
now. Mm-hmm. But I think like so many other things from that, you know, not that far past era have not aged well, especially in that like, you know, in in that sort of comedic way um, that it could have it could have aged much, much worse. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, they also say at the very end, too, which I uh, I don't know, maybe fixes it as well. And, like, the very, very end when Lancelot and, like, whatever, the effeminate prince, whatever, I don't remember what his prince name Hebb, is, but that's... Herbert? Prince Herbert? Yeah, Hebb? yeah. Um, at the very... They, like, sing their little thing um, where he's... Uh, what is it? Like, instead of find your grail, he sings find your mail, which I thought was really funny. Um, and then Lancelot says to him, just think, in a, hundred, in a thousand years' times, this will still be controversial, which, like, I appreciated that for some reason that also made it okay to me because I was like at least they're they're like somewhat aware of the controversy of making fun of it in general I don't know well I I think we've just kind of gone start to finish through the show um something that we like to talk a bit about is um karaoke you all know (laughs) um and I I think I'm surprised that given how much how many of these songs are so good how low the karaoke quotient is like you're not gonna sing I'm all alone. You're not going to sing Come With Me. There are a bunch of like weird filler songs that I think are what you're saying, just kind of extrapolating jokes from the movie into like a minute and 15 second long song, if you will. But uh, I'm, I'm surprised that like there are a couple of really great bops and then all this extra filler in the album. Well, I think every song that Sarah Ramirez sings is like high karaoke quotient. If you can mm-hmm. do that shit in your voice you're good um and i'm actually surprised we like andrew having been karaokeing with you multiple times one one particularly epic time where we only sang musicals uh, what a great time <laughs> oh, hannah was almost there i was until i learned it was in brooklyn and it was at 10 p.m on a work night and i live <laughs> at the top of manhattan and then i was like goodbye so sorry it was really epic but that we haven't done more of this at um at karaoke um because, like, I, I feel like we could do a really good always look on the bright side, you know? Like, I feel like that could be really fun. Um, yeah. But, like, I think that the highest karaoke quotient songs are really the Lady of the Lake songs and Sarah Ramirez songs. Because they're just, like, yeah. they're big, loud, good songs. Like, and you want to, like, belt them. Would Would you ever sing You Won't Succeed on Broadway on stage? Like, in a karaoke context? I would. I might be offended if other people not of the Jewish faith did. <laughs> Would you, like, make an announcement before you did to yes. let everyone know before you started? Yes. Guys, it's okay. I'm <laughs> yes. a chosen person. Yes, I would. I, I, I probably would, yeah. And I think other people could do it, too, because I don't actually think it's, like, offensive. Um, mm-hmm. of, of the things that are sort of slightly offensive in this show, like, it's lower down there. Right. But um, it's just so funny. It's so funny. And what are Jewish people if not funny (laughs) Uh, but let's let's go off of this note of um of jews to nazis what a transition wow okay Okay. look it's not like i planned that and have that in my secret notes i don't know what you're talking about oh my god i don't I, i promise that was organic oh my god uh but yeah the sound of music um Sound of Music is one of those movies I remember, you know, watching as a kid, like the the double VHS, the intermission in the middle. I was never a huge fan. See, so 
both of these movies are so like specific to my childhood. I watched them both so many times. I had the double VHS with the intermission in the middle. I think um I think this also this as a show also suffers from the like there's a very iconic film version. Definitely. Um, when I was mm-hmm. trying to think of like pros and cons about this, like I think the one like con I can think of is that um there's hard to like think about bad things, but at its worst, like the two acts are very unbalanced tonally. Definitely. Um, yeah. In that like all the bangers are in the first act. Like the the tone of the show shifts because it has yes. to. Like right. because the plot is like goes from like fun, your you know, your governess is cool now and she's gonna teach you to sing and you're gonna dance and there's gonna be marionette puppets. Um to oh yeah, you have to escape the Nazis now? Right. Um so like it's a necessary tonal shift. Um, but it uh, it does feel a little bit lopsided at times. But I think that's also something that a lot of musicals do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, I think there are yeah. a lot of musicals that have a second act that is like tonally very different and very and gen- generally like darker. Um, well, at the risk of giving free publicity to a podcast that nobody's ever heard of, there was an episode of This American Life recently <laughs> where. <laughs> Uh, one of the producers was telling a story about how she grew up in a household with six VHSs and one of them that she really loved was The Sound of Music and then she discovered that she never watched the second half of it. Oh my god. And so like she had to watch her favorite movie from when she was six years old and then see what the ending is at age 36. Wow. Um, yeah, and it's it's two totally different stories and also she was like she was like, "Oh man, that that mailman that Liesel sings that song with, he's so cute. I hope they end up together." And then in her 30s oh. she's like, "Oh, that's not a mailman, is it?" <laughs> um, and I think I think that's something that a lot of like subsequent productions have tried to sort of deal with. Um the the production I watched in preparation for this was I I've watched the movie fairly recently. I mean, it was in quarantine, so I don't know how recently, but like in the past <laughs> seven months. Um, but um, and then I watched a a live TV version from Britain, not the live TV version from the U.S. because that's bad. Don't do it. <laughs> um, from from the United Kingdom, that was quite good actually, and did a little bit of sort of more inter interpolating or like in- integrating the sort of Nazi Anschluss storyline into mm-hmm. the first act so it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like such such a, a hard shift. Um, I think the other thing that um, having the movie uh, version in your head does is like sort of the the character of Frau Schrader, the Baroness, she is very like different depending on the production, which I always find very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like in like in the US live version, the NBC live version, she's very sympathetic because like Laura Benanti is so much more talented than uh, <laughs> Carrie Underwood was. And you're just like, why isn't she marrying him? Like she, he, she's great. <laughs> I'm so glad you just mentioned Laura Benanti because do you know the piece of trivia about the 1998? Yep. What is the trivia? In the 1998 revival, which is the one that I saw, Laura Benanti was the understudy for Maria. It was her Broadway debut. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, uh, and then she was actually a replacement at one point. Yes, which like I might have seen her. I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think that's always the one thing from the show from the movie that is is like slightly different in the show because there are other there's a lot there in the show there's a lot more music 
and and songs that like sort of speak to the like political situation um mm-hmm. in the second act which i think i always think is really interesting um in a way that the the movie doesn't quite deal with because it needs to be slightly shorter and um and like elsa gets a song and um and the sort of like dissolving of their engagement is more about um her being sort of okay with the regime change and just sort of going with it than it is about seeing that the captain is in love with Maria and is like, I'm just going to remove myself from this situation. It's more about Von Trapp being like, I'm not okay with Nazis and you are, so we're not going to get married, which I think is a much stronger, like, yeah. point. Um, and, like, that's not always the case, but I, I feel like in the movie she's painted, like, a little bit more sympathetic. Um, <laughs> and then depending on what... Uh, what show, version of the show you're seeing, it, it's very different. But in, in the stage versions that I've seen, it's, like, always more about... There's a song, No Way to Stop It, which is sort of about Elsa and Max being, like, you just have to take what's coming. Like, the Nazis are, mm-hmm. are taking, have taken over. Like, we just have to deal with it. And Von Trapp is kind of like, um, no, let's not, because <laughs> Nazis. <laughs> um, so I think that's something that I I kind of wish was in the movie more, because I think it's important and and those two halves of the movie those two different vhs tapes are so 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 tonally different and i think in the stage version it's not as upsetting that the shift in tone i think that part of the the difference between the movie and the the stage show is that i think they wrote a couple of songs specifically because you know goddamn superstar julie andrews was playing yeah they like wanted to show her off a little bit more so Mm -hmm. i think all of the songs that were added for the movie and replaced songs that were in the stage show are Maria songs. And so, like, Elsa gets kind of squished a bit and Max gets Mm. kind of squished a bit. So the two songs that were written for the movie... um, I Have Confidence in I Have Confidence and um, Something Good. Um, I Have Confidence is actually one of my absolute favorite songs from the film. I think it's so good because... And that is obviously a... Julie Andrews is here and we need to give her, like, a ballad to sing yeah um and and because those two songs have actually become so iconic they have been worked into subsequent stage productions both of those songs were in the 1998 revival of the show so like and they were both written by richard rogers so they don't feel wrong in the in the movies um but i think you know most of them in the stage, subsequent stage productions, those two songs are added, but they don't cut anything out. Whereas in the movie, you do, because of those those two, not necessarily because of those two songs, but those two songs are added and um, we are focused more on the development of Maria and the captain's relationship than the sort of oncoming German invasion or peaceful takeover, as it were. But yeah, I think, you know... For me, that is, like, the only, like, the sort of shift is the only, like, thing that is wrong with this show to me. Because I love this this music so, so much. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I also don't hate the shift. I don't know. Yeah, like, it doesn't I, bother me as much as it would in other shows, possibly. 
Yeah, I feel like there's something, maybe I'm intellectualizing it a little bit much, but I do think that there's something actually kind of important in like having this really fun, light childhood thing, right? Of they're like growing up in this world that it does have the shadow of like Nazis hanging above it, but the kids don't necessarily see that. And the beginning of it, you're with the kids much more. And then you transition to being with the grownups much more and you see the alternate side of the reality of the world. And I think that that's an important story to tell, actually. I, I don't hate it it's a little uncomfortable but that's maybe not bad actually i think i don't know yeah i don't love the music so much wow i what this is really honestly i think there's a chance that if ellen hears me say this from the next I'm room i might wind her. up divorced i'm gonna but, text uh, her i'm texting ellen right now <laughs> no uh uh-oh uh-oh guys i'm getting such a stink guy right now but no uh okay here, here's what here's what i will say i have it written down somewhere um I'm not forced to say this under any sort of duress. No. Um, when I was listening to Do Re Mi the other night, I was like, wow, I'm finding this surprisingly emotional. I'm not sure why Do Re Mi, which is like a relatively simple and basic song, like hit me so hard. But uh, everything else, I kind of, I, I think it's classic in a way, but like, I, I, I think that's just not my taste, probably because like, classic is what everything else is built on and so like it it's it feels it feels derivative when it is in fact what's being derived from if that makes sense i can yeah i can understand hmm. that right like that's how i feel when i watch like a lot of horror movies right like exactly. when i watch an, when i watch like an old like classic horror movie for the first time i'm like well this feels tired because i've seen this like parodied and and stuff but i but then i have to like re um reconfigure my brain be like oh no like when i watched the shining for the first time which was recently um i was like oh no this is what like all those things come from and when you like sort of do that shift yeah you appreciate it more but how can you not like the music in this andrew it's so good well i mean there there is a four minute long yodel song that's that's step one which is amazing Man, I really thought I had. I really thought Spamalot was going to win this one, but all of a sudden, I'm feeling a tide turning against me. No, I. I don't know, um, and I, I think that the thing that the story has most going for it is this this tonal shift. That it is like trying to tell a, a pretty heavy, dark story in a with this juxtaposition. Like I think that is the most interesting thing about this story. Yeah, and like I think, like like um, Hannah said, I think. Because I, I wrote that, like, that's one of the, the like, that's, like, the, the the bad thing I could find about it. But, like, the shift in the tone is so necessary to the yeah. story that it doesn't bother me as much. Um, and I think, like, I think the the issue is kind of that the, the musically, the songs are not as strong in that in that half of the show. Yeah, um, I agree. And that's like really the only issue there, but the like the actual tonal shift is not is not actually a problem for me. And we do need to just talk about the one exception to the rule you're saying, which is that Edelweiss is a brilliant oh, song. Beautiful. Um there there's this bit of lore that like after the show came out, everybody thought that Edelweiss was a uh, classic Austrian folk song that had like always existed, but no, it is an original <laughs> composition for this musical that like now is taking on that role of being a classic folk song, but only ever yeah. since it was written for the show. Well, and I also think that like 
Personally, for me, this is my favorite Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, um, which is, you know, maybe cliche, but, like, it is the last musical they wrote, but it, like, it feels like the pinnacle of everything they did. Um, And there's just, there's not, there's not, like, there's some songs that are stronger, but there's not a bad song in this show. Yeah. The only thing I'll say that I that I take issue with in the show, and I also have to say it with like a big caveat of knowing that like it's an old show, and so there are going to be things that don't age as well. The 16 going on 17, both of those songs I have problems with. I, I just have problems with like the way that it was like making this like romanticizing about like a 17-year-old girl being at a marriable age and like an 18-year-old boy telling her what to do. And then like later when Maria sings it with her and she's like, you'll be married and then you'll believe to him I was like no Maria no that's not the truth like that I had a problem with but also like whatever it's a show from however long ago like 50 plus years ago now right yeah, yeah it's old so that's gonna be there yeah no but I other have, than that I had the same reaction to the the reprise of uh 16 going <sighs> I'm like yeah no, Maria whoa <laughs> <laughs> and, to, and then she's like wait a year or two I'm like what's a wait till she's 19 and then she can get married like no <laughs> yeah also Maria you're like at least 25 like <laughs> and you just got married like come on yeah <laughs> um but I yeah I think that's like it's it's the one thing where it's like it's the same way as like I expect things to like age a little bit badly um yeah and I think but I think there's less that ages a little bit badly in this than there is in Spamalot and Spamalot is newer right <laughs> like totally again, I was very surprised at how well Spamalot did age but mm. I think there like this this manages to be very classic um yeah. I mean, I think Spamalot is more impressive because it's comedy and it's, like, also, like, trying to sort of hate a lot of people's buttons, which sometimes does not age well at all. Um, But, yeah, and also, Andrew, if you don't like a four-minute yodeling song, we can't be friends because (laughs) The Lonely Goat Herd is a fucking bop. So good. I just just need to change this outro we have. (laughs) I am looking for a new host. Uh, well, and yeah. <laughs> I would I would say that you know, um, I I just I love the music from this so much, and it's all so singable in a mm-hmm. way. Like I think yeah. that's mm-hmm. another really interesting thing about this is that, um, oh, the songs that are at, were added for Julie Andrews, um, right. are are difficult in some ways. Or I have confidence is probably the biggest like mm-hmm. vocal stretch i think but this the rest of the songs are like they're very singable which is is not something you usually get in musicals especially not in modern musicals but it is something slightly more you know reminiscent of, of classic rogers and hammerstein and that like this is something you want to sing along to and like my favorite things is just is such as become you know its own situation it's not a christmas song and i will fight with people who say it's a christmas song but, it's not <laughs> yeah. a, but it is it is a very classic song and i get right. that um, it's so classic that panic at the disco even likes it <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but i i used to love the so long farewell that was like my favorite thing and i would go on the stairs of my house and like do the little like mm-hmm. motions i was like a six-year-old i was very cute um <laughs> maybe my issue with sound of music is that there are 
too many children. And I say this coming from a family of five, but like <laughs> the the two or three oldest children have very clear stories. And then how many total are there? There's seven. Seven. And we we have to listen to each of them do a verse of So Long Farewell? No. No. They do it in little groups. Yeah, like Liesl has her own and Gretel has her own and maybe Friedrich has his own, but I think the other middle girls and Kurt do theirs together. Okay. Yeah. Mm. It's a good, fun song. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. is fun. It is fun. <laughs> I will give you that. I just, I think it is maybe a little long, but maybe not. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. It's also depending on whether you're watching it or just listening to it, right? Yeah. Like that's some of this too. Is like if you're just listening to a soundtrack, yeah. but it's meant to be yeah. like this was from the days when musical soundtracks were not intended to just be like what you listen to. So mm-hmm. it's a little different. And I think yeah. that's the other thing is like this. Both of these musicals really like don't work as well mm-hmm. as, as just an album. As just an album, and and no, like totally. no stage production really does. But there are some stage productions where like you get the whole thing. You know, right. if you mm-hmm. listen to the album, you understand what's happening. Um, yeah. So <sighs> I I think it's um. I think that's going to be tough, quite honestly. Yeah. But um, I just well, I, I think that the music in Sound of Music is so important to me in a, in a, like a really visceral and and subliminal like way that I can't quite express in a way that like in kind of the same way that the 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 actual like original film of Monty Python is to me, mm-hmm. but in a way that like. I get the same thing out of the show version of The Sound of Music that I do out of the film that I grew up on, which is not totally true for Spamalot. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I think the the last thing we should do before we move into voting is talk about karaoke quotient and like what songs... If you're at karaoke bar right now, what song are you going to sing from Sound of Music? Do Re Mi. You have to. You could get all your friends up there. You could see it as like a drinking song. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Like there's so, and like, I think like you could also do Maria. Like that's Mm -hmm. a great one. Oh yeah. Um, A group one. But I also like, honestly, if someone wants to do the Lonely Goat Herd with me at karaoke, I will be (laughs) fucking down. What the hell is going on right now? I would love to see that at karaoke. (laughs) It would be so fun. Hi on a hill. This is this is my hell. <laughs> How? I don't. Please. It's uh, a good they, song, Andrew. <laughs> and, and maybe I'm playing this up for comedy. There is absolutely no way to tell. Um, <laughs> I I think the thing is like I think so many of these songs would be fun to perform, and I think that's right. like part of the allure of it. And yeah. I also think that it's a, it is a show that works with almost anyone in mm-hmm. the cast. Like obviously, like it, the palpable chemistry of Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer in the the movie is like something very specific. But it is you know the the vibe of the whole thing is pretty easily replicated by most actors, and mm-hmm. you know. Bar Carrie Underwood, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but like it it is it is pretty easy to like cast in a way and easy to um 
easy to replicate and easy to to bring back and 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 still be enjoyable. I don't know if that's true for Spamalot. While I would love to see a reprise, a reprise, no, a revival, a revival, yeah, <laughs> a revival of Spamalot, like in the near future. I think that'd be really fun. Um, I think the comedic talent of the people that are in it is a mm. huge part of it. You mm-hmm. know, I think you know. I think that was, you know, we kind of talked about that a little bit about that last time on the podcast about like whether you can recreate the same effect with a different cast. And I think mm-hmm. while you can recreate the same effect clearly because they did they did really well with, you know, different people than in the movie, um they have to be like a, able to do certain things. Whereas mm-hmm. I think the sound of music is just so classic and so, you know, yeah, singable that it's a lot easier to 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 be Right. performed it's very performable the sound of music there's also like not that many sets like it's chill yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right well i think that uh that concludes that that portion of the show we're we're into our our voting stage um we're gonna have a winner in about two minutes i guess but let's start with uh let's start with Hannah Susie, who's going to win this death match in your opinion is it spam a lot or is it um the sound of music I think it's the sound of music. I, 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 for a lot of the things that Kelsey was just saying, right? Like, I think that Spamalot was fun to listen back on. There are a lot of songs that I like in it, but I, I also just tend to be a bit of a purist and that I err on the side of like, I want a full comprehensive story to be told. And like, Spamalot doesn't do that. And the goal is not for it to do that. And it kind of has like a loose overarching thing. They tried to build it in, but like, it's not a story that I'm going to like sit down and like feel emotional and like cry. Like, I want to have that experience. And so I want the musical that's going to give me that. So yeah, sound of music. Very fair. I'll go next. Um, Just to create some suspense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody knows how this is going to turn out. Um, no, I, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I think that the sound of music is, um, sound of music is a more complete story in a lot of ways. It is a more emotionally you know you're going on a ride when you watch the sound of music i i just can't get over like this feeling of of being a kid and watching this you know 18 hour long movie that my mom wanted to watch that i was never (laughs) into um the the music doesn't quite hit me right um and even though spamalot definitely has many of its own issues uh i i think the the sheer joy I get out of seeing Spamalot on stage uh, hold, holds, a, holds a toe to, that's not the phrase, goes toe to toe <laughs> with the emotional journey that, that the sound of music puts you on. Uh, I'm, I'm going Spamalot on this one. Okay, okay. I think for me, these are both like from properties that I have like a very intense personal connection to. Um, but I think... For me, The Sound of Music just hits all the right buttons, both musically and story, uh, story-wise. story And um, just as a whole is is more complete in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Spamalot is a great show, and I really appreciate what it does. Um, but I think it, it is there is this undercurrent of, like, this was not originally meant for the stage. Yeah. Um, and that 
it doesn't hurt it necessarily, but you can feel it, you know, mm. you can tell, you can tell that. Whereas I think that, um, with the sound of music, it was originally meant for the stage, but even the, my personal like connection with it, which is the movie was my original, uh, version that I saw, like, does it make me feel that different about it? You know, like mm. I can love the movie and the movie just makes me love the show more. Um, yeah. Whereas I have like the opposite feelings about something like Mary Poppins, <laughs> um, which we can talk about at some point if you want. But yeah, like, <laughs> the, my love for the movie makes me love the show more um, and and makes me and the show or the movie, the story every time makes me feel things. And uh, that is mm-hmm. really important to me. And, and I think it tells a story pretty deftly. Um, and the music is just, it's unbeatable. It's so, it's so great. It's, it's so, so good. And it, they are some of my favorite songs in the world. So I think for me, it's got to be The Sound of Music. This is not to say that <laughs> Spamalot is a bad show because Spamalot is a great show. Yeah, they're tricky to compare. I would be, I, the one thing I will say is like a caveat is if I was given the opportunity to see only one of the two and they were like, you're going to walk into a Broadway theater tomorrow and see one of these two shows, I would pick Spamalot. I, I think I would, but Spamalot I would want to see in person and it's more of like the experience of seeing, but Sound of Music I still would say is like the one I would come back to and see mm-hmm. over and over again and listen to multiple times. Yeah. To me, that makes it better. That's the thing, right? Like, Spamalot, I want to see it in person one time. I want to see those actors do their thing. I'm always going to be comforted by the sound of music, whoever is right. playing whoever. Like, like yep. even even the shitty Carrie Underwood version, like, there are parts of it that I really <laughs> love that made me, like, feel things, you know? And that's, that's impressive, because it's bad. <laughs> Poor Carrie Underwood. She's I, really... <laughs> I feel bad because well, she's a, a fine singer and whatever, but there was it was poor casting. It's the casting director I have an issue with there. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, I hate to tell you who we have booked as our guest for next week's oh, episode, no. Kelsey. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, this is going to be awkward. It's going to be so anyway. awkward. <laughs> Listen, if we had that kind of booking power, man. Yeah, Ryan, get on it. Our booking agent, on, Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fake intern, Ryan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess with, with a two-to-one vote, Sound of Music takes down Spamalot in a move that nobody saw coming. But <laughs> Andrew, uh, also, are you wearing a Spamalot t-shirt right now? I just saw the sleeve of your arm. I, I am, yeah. Uh, I bought this this uh, t-shirt canonically on January 13th, 2007. <laughs> Um, I also bought a separate t-shirt that was Feche Lavash, but uh, I got rid of that shirt when I was cleaning out t-shirts a few months ago, years ago, I had, who knows. I had a Feche Lavash t-shirt too, at one point. That was fun. Thank you for listening. We hope you had as much fun as we had. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us or follow us on social media, our handles on Instagram and Twitter are MT, like musical theater, underscore deathmatch. And if you go check out that Twitter right now, there is a poll where you can vote for which you prefer, Spam a Lot or Sound of Music, whether you prefer, you know, Absolute Bangers by Sarah Ramirez or Four Minute Long Yodeling Songs. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get totally overwhelmed here, but hey, any engagement is good engagement. Uh, And on Facebook, we are the same thing, but without the underscore. Hey, by the way, if you are interested in being a guest on this podcast, please DM us. We are quickly running through our pool of people who can be our guests. You can find this podcast on all available platforms. Please give us those five stars. We, we've, 
really need stars. Uh, also, I have a note here. It says that due to my ending friendship with Kelsey Goldman, I am in the market for a new co-host for Musical Theater Deathmatch. I don't know what that's about. It's a great song. <laughs> well, now that Kelsey has plugged her favorite song, uh, Hannah, do you have anything you would like to plug? I will. I will plug another podcast. Um, my boyfriend Chris has a podcast with his friend Chris um, called the 40 Under 40 Podcast, uh, where they pick movies that are beloved to them um, that have scored under 40 on Rotten Tomatoes. And they watch them and then they do a conversation about how they would rate them now. Um, recently, they did the controversial Hocus Pocus, which did not score as highly as I feel it should have. Um, but it's fun. They do a good job. Yeah. Um, and they're uh, 40 I Under 40 pod. I've been a subscriber for a few months. I really enjoy their conversations. It's lots of fun. It's a good follow. You should do it. Um, Kelsey, what do you have to play? Um, so I have an additional podcast with our friend Jason, previous guest on the second episode. Um, it's called Ruin My Life. It's four years old now. I can't believe it. Um, we uh, watch, eat listen to things that each other loves and then we talk about them and ruin each other's lives with them because we both have those type of personalities. It's important to point out, ruin my life is a good thing in this context. Yes, ruining, like, <laughs> as it, like you love something so much it has ruined you. Um, <laughs> um, so we share things with each other, uh, generally like movies, TV shows, but the occasional soft drink uh, food dish. Early on, you guys had an episode about Moxie and an episode about Taco Bell, and I'm really waiting for Ooh. those kinds of topics to come back. Yeah, I think I think we need to get back back on that. It's it's been a little bit hit or miss with the the pandemic. It's been hard to sort of coordinate, and we've both been sort of creatively uh, yeah. stifled <laughs> in some ways. Um, but we recently put out an episode, um, a special two two uh, object episode about. Um, one of my favorite films of uh, the early 2000s, Get Over It, and one of Jason's favorite films of the early 2000s, Shriek, if you know what I did last Friday the 13th, which um, are an interesting pairing, but makes sense if you listen to the episode, and um, both criminally underrated. I would love to know what the tomato meter on both of those are, because um, <laughs> they might be some fun things for uh, Chris and Chris to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will share Shriek if you know what I did last Friday the 13th is an abysmal score of 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. Sorry. And join us next time. Our, our next episode will be dropping on January 1st, 2021. As weird as that sounds. Uh, and our episode then will be surprisingly good movie to Broadway adaptations Groundhog Day versus Spongebob the Musical. And also, as we say at the end of every episode, Go vote! Specifically, vote on the Twitter poll, or if you live in Georgia. Specifically, Georgia. Go vote. Yes. <laughs> or if you live internationally, and there is some other election. I don't know. Never stop voting. We're ABV. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is.